You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. His name's Shattenkirk, and he wears 22. So his uh, Twitter handle is Shat Deuces. <laughs> I'm just saying, that's that's high comedy right there. That's pretty great. <laughs> is he American? He is indeed. Yeah, I thought, but the name like Shattenkirk, that seems. Well, you know, I guess it's still possible to be Canadian, that name, but yeah. True. But yeah, he's, he's American. It's funny, the Caps are, uh, um, they're big on Americans. It's, and Russians, but we well, gotta keep keep Ovi happy. Not a whole lot of Canadians and zero Finns. That's our it's our big thing. If you're Finnish, we don't we don't sign you. I mean, I mean forever. Like as long as fin- Finnish players have been in the league, they they don't play in Washington. What's up with that? I have no idea. It's just one of those weird quirks. I mean, there's just not a ton of Finnish players. Yeah, but. Like, the Caps have always had a, a ton of Europeans. I mean, we were one of the first teams to really invest in Europeans. Like, I would say, prior to the Ovi era, best player of all time is Peter Bondra, and he's he's Czech. So, you know, their best defenseman of all time might be Callie Johansson. You can go out on a limb on that one. Pretty Swedish name. So... <laughs> So that, you know they've always been a fairly European team. They've, you know, it's hard to tr- attract the Canadians to the United States capital. It's a terrifying place. It really is, especially no, now. Oh. <laughs> hey, look, well, they couldn't get Obama to go to a game. That was a big campaign of the local bloggers. So eight years, Obama never went to a game. Really? Not even when, not even when the Blackhawks were in town. And he said he was a Blackhawks fan. That's weird. So. Well, yeah, he also said he was a White Sox fan and A's fan and whatever. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, I mean, just throw us a throw us a bone on one of those. But no, this is definitely an all-in move. So I'm kind of <sighs> rooting for the Caps is definitely uh, yeah, part of the experience. I was going to ask if you're bracing yourself for. The worst possible heartbreak, no. Oh, God. Yeah, my thing is this. Is, this is honestly the Caps' last best chance to win a Stanley Cup. Because a lot of contracts, they have 10 players who are going to be, uh, are in contract years. Well, that's significant. Yeah, and you only have 23 players on your roster, yeah. on your active roster. So, you do the math. It, this is a, I'm not saying the team is suddenly going to suck next year, but this is definitely... The team, like this, is as good as it gets. Next year's team will not be as good on paper. So mm-hmm. there's a definite feeling. Like I'm trying not to get my hopes up after last year, but this move is kind of pushing all the chips in the table, and I'm kind of like, well, we're all in. Let's do it. 
So win one for OV. Win one for OV. You know what? Just win one for anybody. I don't care who they win for. <laughs> win one for me. Dude, I sounded the Easter epic. I'm Odin's. Win one for Posey. That's right. Win one for Posey. That would definitely be my hockey nickname. Posey. <laughs> it's very intimidating. Yes. I guess if you like cross-check someone, you could say they got a pocket full of Posey. See, there you go. It's meant to be. Yeah, it's meant to be. So I'm all... And I have exhausted my hockey knowledge. Thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. But you did you spawned me to do my uh, monthly check in on the Blackhawks because I'm a huge Blackhawks fan. Yeah, I can tell. Um, Looks like they're doing well. Yeah, they are doing well. Minnesota is running away with the division, but yeah, like, that's what it looks like. So you know, now, make the- hockey does like points standings, right? Yeah, it's um, always bizarre because like. The Hawks have more wins and fewer. Oh no! Okay, I was looking at games played. I'm an yeah, idiot. it's two points for a win, one point for an overtime loss. <laughs> okay, it's for a lot because they used to have ties. Yeah, and so it used to be two points for a win, one point for a tie. So it's like a point for your. Uh, it's like a payment for your service. Like, oh, thanks yeah, for sticking that one out. It's sort of. Honestly, they should just go back to ties, but that's never going to happen because... America. Oh, uh, yeah, America. <laughs> we, we won't accept that. And I understand. If you shell out how much games cost these days, if you pay 100 bucks to go to a game, you want a winner and you want a loser. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that's asking for the world. So, And I do think it's chintzy if you lose in overtime, which is kind of a gimmick. They play three on three. Right. And I mean... It's essentially a tie, so. But I would rather they go to the three-point system, where you get three points for a regulation win, two points for an overtime win, one point for an overtime loss, and no points for a regulation loss. The problem is then you end up with the, like these really long standings that just look stupid. Yeah. Because you got to keep track of four columns. And I like the points standing model though. Yeah, there, there's something to be said for that. The, the problem with hockey, though, is that now not every game is worth the same value. Mm-hmm. You know, a game is worth two points unless it goes to overtime, and suddenly it's worth three points. Because the win, winning, the losing team picks up a point. But I guess soccer has the same problem, where it's three points if somebody wins, but the game's worth two points if nobody wins. Yeah. Uh, um... Uh, soccer is, has a different reason of why they have a three-point game because teams literally won't play to win. But so it is kind of punitive to have ties like that. Punitive—that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, see, look at that. We're on the big words today. I wonder who drew up the the points model. Like, was that just a a room, like a FIFA discussion? I don't know who invented points first. Was it the NHL or FIFA? I don't know. Uh, um, that's actually kind of interesting. I would guess it was soccer. And I bet you it predates FIFA. Yeah, my assumption was soccer. I said FIFA, but... Yeah. You know. When you think about it, you know, it was probably an English soccer league went with the point system first. Yeah. Way back when. Yeah. 
it, it only makes sense if you have a lot of ties. Like, it wouldn't make sense in the NFL. Yeah, which happens a lot in Premier League soccer. Right, or any league. So, and it, yeah. they used to have two points for a win, one point for a tie until the World Cup in, like, 92? I mean, sorry, 90? I think it was the 90 World Cup where they, like, teams just blatantly didn't try to win. So, <laughs> So in 94, they started with a three-point win. I think that's the timeline. Seems right. Yeah, I think that's right. Itali- yeah, it was Italian 90, which, which just had some god-awful soccer. That was before my uh, soccer-watching days. Yeah, it was god-awful. The 90th uh, Italy-Italian Cup. I, I think it was in from the quarterfinals on... Only one game from the quarterfinals on did a team, did the winning team score more than one goal. Oh, Christ. And that was in the quarterfinals. <sighs> Sounds yeah, like, like it was just a series of one nothing, one one games. Sounds like LSU sad skateball. Well, LSU's got a pretty decent offense. It's that their defense is atrocious. Well, it's, I mean, LSU sucks, but let's at least pin down why they suck correctly. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, and with that, welcome to the Sneaky Good Podcast. We have theme music. The music here. See, look at that. Yeah, yeah. that dramatic pause. I'm Poser. That's Dan. Good evening or morning. I don't know. Whenever you listen to this. Yeah, this is on demand. You can listen to it whenever you want. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're not really live here. Well, we're live to each other. I don't know what you do. <laughs> For us, it's good evening. So, and we are. Yeah, we found our way to LSU sports there. Uh, men's basketball is coming to its bitter, bitter, bitter conclusion. So the six of you who care about LSU basketball, I'm sorry, but it's almost over and it can't hurt you anymore. That's really all I got on basketball. So, hey, it's baseball season. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at our basketball wins just just to remember the good days. <laughs> Like, and we beat Missouri, like, the second week of January. I mean, it, it's been, like, five weeks, six weeks without a win, right? We had that Houston win back in November. That, that yeah. was when we thought we might have an okay team. Yeah. So, yeah. That, where is the Missouri game? Missouri was real early in the year. Yep, January 4th. 11-point oh, victory at Missouri. And we haven't won a game since. Haven't won a game since. So January 4th, yeah, we're we're headed on like two months now without a win. We gave Georgia a run. Yeah, almost got it, but free throws. What are you going to do? Yeah. So we, that was, it's, 
two more games and then we'll mercilessly <laughs> march over to Nashville and lose, lose. another one. <laughs> Go home. I, I mean, and hopefully. Yeah, I, I mean, I expected LSU to be bad this year, but this is a level of bad they should not have really achieved. No. Does Joe leave Johnny on the tarmac in Nashville? Nah, I, I think we bring. I don't think it'll be spite. No, out of this. He, they can't do that. He's an alum. Yeah, like, it'll be nice, but he hasn't, I don't, he hasn't brought shame onto the program or anything. He's just yeah, we're just bad. Good. Yeah, and I, I think he, he's out of anyone, any boosters that'll support him. I think for a while there was booster support. Like, yeah, he's a Dale guy. It'll work out. Yeah. You know, that I, this is what I was thinking about over the weekend with him. Because I agree, I don't want to talk about the team because there's not much to talk about. But So last year was sort of his chance, and he blew it. And there was all sorts of issues with it, you know. And I know Simmons did the whole mail it in halfway thing and whatever. Okay, that's a different subject. But I, you know, if we had been any decent, Simmons wouldn't have mailed it in. So, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of on you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, this gets to Oliva getting to hire his third basketball coach, which he's going to get to. Yeah. And, and I- you're not going to get fired over basketball at LSU. No, certainly not. Um, you know, and he's so the hires have gone. Trent Johnson, which I think was unanimously agreed to be a great hire. I thought so too. It just didn't work. Just totally bombed. Um, so he, we've talked about this on the show before. Your your impression is that he got basically gun shy from that moment on and lost his confidence. Um. So then he goes, and he's sort of forced into hiring Johnny by yeah. powerful black, you know, power brokers in the program. And to give credit, Johnny Jones had done a pretty good job in North Texas. Like yeah, he, he wasn't was, a he wasn't like some shitbag or anything. Yeah, it wasn't just like, oh, he's a Dale Brown alum. Let's bring him in. Right. He had some skins on the wall. Yeah, he was he was doing enough, and you know, it looked like it might work for a little bit, like. He was pulling in all these top talents that we really never saw under Trent. And, no. you know, we always say, like, talent wins football. And talent in basketball, like, you don't, you need even less, like, overall talent to win in basketball. Because if you can get, like, one great player, you can probably make the tournament, honestly. Yeah, what well, was so terrible is, is it wasn't just Simmons. He brought in a pretty decent class. Yeah. He brought in enough of supporting talent, but that team should have been able to sleepwalk their mm-hmm. way into the tournament. Easy. In a weak league. Yeah, in a weak league. It wasn't like they had to go through, you know, the 80s Big East. Yeah. And they didn't make it. That, so that was really, to me, the end. Like, I agree. He, if he would have orchestrated a tournament team this year, he could have saved his job. But, it, like... There was, it, that wasn't going to happen. Like, it was so obvious that was never going to happen. So, I don't yeah. know. It's just I been watching that, the death, I guess. Yeah, he, he's been a dead man walking since mid-January. And definitely since February 1st. Yeah. And, and he's done nothing to pull the team out of the hole. Nope. So, you know, look at baseball. What, what Before we go to baseball, what do you... 
I, I think LSU at this point is a transition job. Like they need to hire someone looking to get to like yeah, UNC, yeah. you know? They're talking about, you know, you see the names rumored about and people want to pick up like, oh, well, like Greg Marshall's done a Greg Marshall's not going to come to LSU. That's yeah, no chance. He's going to like a. a yeah. If he's going to leave his job, he is going to Kansas. Yeah. He's going to a blue blood. Yeah. He is not. Leaving. <laughs> yeah. You look at it as so. I don't see how anyone would leave a power five job to go to LSU. So I think it takes every power five coach off the board. And that would also include your borderline, like the Big East is, uh, I mean, I don't know what we call elite basketball conferences anymore, but yeah, yeah, the big, no one for the Big East is coming either. So you, you have to go down a level. And even then, I think it gets judicious. Like if you're a top coach in the Atlantic 10, you can kind of pick and choose your jobs, what your step up job is. In some cases, it's a better job to stay where you are than to come to LSU which looks like a failing program. Yeah. I mean, you look at like uh, UNC Asheville is doing really well this year and they've had a pretty good, actually middle Tennessee state has been great the last couple of years. So if you make a run at middle Tennessee state's coach, is LSU a better job than middle Tennessee state right now? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I mean, from what he's built it, I mean, I know long-term LSU is a better job, yeah, but course. you are starting at zero and if you're making the step up from MTSU to somewhere, you can kind of wait for a, a better job in LSU to open up. Mm-hmm. And you can you know, be a little bit choosy. And I think that's going to be the problem with LSU is that anyone that we would be interested in is going to have other offers. I mean, like, like NC State's going to be open. And NC State has loads of problems, but NC State is a better program than LSU right now. It's oh, not yeah. even close. They're like a... A step below the Blue Bloods, basically. And I think what kills LSU is also just how weak the SEC is. Yeah. I mean, in order to build, if you come into LSU and you're, you know, it's one, they're one in 17, and you build a team to eight and eight in the SEC, you've done a hell of a job. But you haven't made the tournament because the, the conference is so weak. You haven't really accomplished anything yet. You're still an NIT team. And that's not going to get you the next rung up the ladder. So no, I, I think I'd be looking at low. You know, we're talking low majors, or you know, I'd go really far off the board on this one. It's whoever LSU hires, I will not criticize because the job right now is looks so terrible. Whoever they get is a win. And that speaks to how bad the job is right now. Eric Musselman? Eric Musselman. Fine. Uh, I mean, like, if there's just – it's you have to sell the coach for this place. Yeah. Saying that you can win here. And you can win at LSU, but it's been so long. Mm-hmm. I mean, even for one Final Four team, that was a one-year aberration. They missed the tournament the next year. So this is not like, oh, well, we're 10 years removed from the Final Four, so this is actually a pretty good program. That was that was the outlier season. Mm-hmm. There's been nothing built here since the early 90s. I just hope whoever they hire has some sort of vision for the program. And it's not just like, you know, oh, this guy coached – 
I don't know, you know, like this guy was a Coach K assistant for 15 years. Like, you know, just like. Yeah, no, I'd hate to get something like that. Honestly, I would like to get someone out of the Atlantic Sun just because they play fun basketball. Like that entire conference. I mean, that's the Florida Gulf Coast League. Almost everyone in that conference plays high tempo. They're just fun teams to watch. They're not good, but they're fun. And at this point, I'll just take fun. Yeah, was, yeah, that might be the first step, honestly, for the program is just make it an enjoyable product again. Yeah, it's it, it's just been dismal. <sighs> the days of the Death Dome are no more. Yeah, and I mean, look, I went to school a long time ago, and LSU basketball wasn't that good then. I mean, there were some moments. But by and large, the LSU basketball program was not good when I went to school. So, and I'm no, you know, I'm no spring chicken. So that means we're talking two generations of college, you know, two generations of college kids who have not seen a good LSU basketball program. They were good when I was a kid. That is a long time ago. To, to. A prospect now that might as well you might as well say you were good in the fifties. Oh yeah, you no. Know, hey, the San Francisco Dons won a national title fifties. That a new squad. <laughs> There's decidedly few bright spots, which, yeah. which is weird because we do have claim to some of the greatest talent in college basketball history. Yeah, I think if you made an all-time team, LSU's all-time starting five is one of the best all-time starting fives of any program. For sure. Uh, I I think you'd lose, like, Kansas, maybe Georgetown, Duke, North Carolina. Yeah. UCLA. That's about it. I mean, they're that level. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't know what's next. It's interesting. I mean, yeah, you're not going to get fired for basketball, but I'm not really excited about him getting to hire again. Yeah, and it's just one of the I'm – I'm at the point, like, who cares who he brings in? Just bring in somebody. If this one didn't work, try something else. I, I have no expectations. We, we haven't – we have passed anger, and we have arrived at apathy. <laughs> That's the worst place to be. It really is. Well, then let's talk about baseball. We're not apathetic yeah. about that. Uh, Jared Poche almost throws two straight no-hitters. Yeah, that's unreal. Yeah, he, he started off pretty well. Uh, his first hit wasn't until the ninth inning of his second start. Um, also, Alex Lang uh, has been almost as great. He's uh, allowed one earned run in 11 innings. So, so LSU starting pitching is kind of awesome right now. Um, Eric Walker's been okay in the third spot, but I'm not unhappy with it so far. He's got a he's shown some things. He looks like a normal third starter. It's just that the top two have just been so great. But right now, killing teams. Yeah, just racking it up. I, I, Maryland's no joke. Maryland is the is the preseason pick to win the Big Ten. Which I know isn't, you know, Big Ten basketball. But, you know, that's a pretty good conference. And LSU just torched them. It, it was a non-competitive series. 
what are you, what's your impressions of this team early on? Obviously, beyond, I mean, pitching is amazing. Okay. Yeah, pitching is amazing. Look, last year's team was not supposed to be as good as it was. Yeah, they overachieved. They were playing a lot of freshmen. They were building towards this year. You know, Lang and Poche are going to leave this year. So this is the year they got to get it done. And right now, everybody they needed to show up has shown up big time. Um, Kramer Robertson has picked up exactly where he's left off. He, Lost in Poche's first no-hitter is Robertson made some amazing plays in the field. Um, that no-hitter was partly Kramer's. Um, he had one inning where I think he, he made three outs and all three of them could have been base hits. Um, Dykeman, who he thought was going to miss the season after getting hit in the face right before the season started – didn't miss a game, and he's already hit four home runs. Yeah, he's and, mashing. Yeah, he looks like the second coming of Matt Clark right now. He is just – I mean, he's not just hitting home runs. He's hitting tape measure shots. He hit the uh, – what did they – ended up ruling it? The the huge bomb. I, I, I know it cleared 500, which yeah. is crazy. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that someone said they were honking their horn because they – you know, they uh, – Someone Nicholson said they, you know, found the ball. <laughs> I mean, that's he's that's ridiculous. The, um, let's see if you look at the lineup. You have uh, yeah, I'm kind of cruising. Um, of the let's see, you have three, four, five, six. So you have eight guys with at least ten at bats who are hitting over 300. Um, I know it's early, but that's that's pretty darn good. And look, Manieri hates bench using his bench. He gets a lineup and he sticks with it until until he dies. And he's showing signs of that. Like uh, if you look at it, um, the top eight players are the top eight players. Um, seven of eight of those top eight, seven of them, eight games played, eight games started. Mm-hmm. And one guy, Papirski, has seven games played, seven games started because he's the catcher. So, <laughs> so the rotation is set. There is not much playing time out there. But unlike other LSU teams, the bench is already shown out really well. Uh, just about everybody is making a case for themselves. Um, Bryce Adams still has you know six starts, so he's the guy he wants to win the job. Um, he's slugging six hundred, so and he. You know, that's – hit three home runs. That's nine RBIs. That's what you want. But he's getting pressed for playing time by Bro, who has slugging 714 and has two home runs and 10 RBIs. Rankin Woley has come out of nowhere. He has, you know, three um, – sorry, he he's slugging 818. So it's just – it's real early. Some numbers are crazy right now. Uh, but you can definitely see – that bench is beginning to round into form. And remember, Jordan Romero right now only has four at-bats, so we'll see if he can regain last year's form. Yeah, so Kramer's uh, seems to be hitting the hell out of the baseball right now, too. Yeah, Kramer's, he's our best player uh, in the field. He, he's, Kramer Robertson's been everything so far, and I expect that, honestly, I expect that to last. Um, but what you like to see is, you know, Jake Slaughter, comes out as a freshman and is immediately a you know huge impact player. So you look at the team right now, the expectation last year the expectations were low 
and they did really well. They made it to the Supers where they lost to the eventual national champion. I, I think people were really... I think when you saw the Supers, everyone was kind of like, you know what, Coastal was better. Mm-hmm. It, it it made that pill easy to swallow. We got screwed by the seating committee. We didn't get, you know, we didn't out, we didn't choke. But this year's team really doesn't have a whole lot of excuses. This is a make it to Omaha kind of team. And... Yeah, Hunter Newman. What was it? Hunter Newman just went down with an injury, I think. Yeah, I saw that. Whatever. I think it's. But still, so I'm still concerned about the bullpen because just because we don't know what we have in there. A third starter will be a, a nagging issue all season, so you just want someone to step up. But I'm not. We're not at the point we need to worry about that yet. But right now, it looks like a team that's good enough to win the national title. It's like baseball has been the is sort of the reverse ethos of the of the basketball team. Yes, they've been so good, but they've just fallen short of Omaha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's sort of the opposite of the Bertman years. They would always turn it on in the postseason. Yeah, yeah. This team, Maneri hasn't done as well in the postseason as he's done in the regular season. Which I guess is. Beyond and his uh, bullpen. People forget Bergman's teams were quite. Yeah, part of that's on you know part of that's on Paul. Um, he's not the best at managing a bullpen. But you know what? Skip just rode guys until their arms fell off. So, <laughs> different era too. Yeah, it was a different era. You couldn't do that these days. But mm-hmm. also, like Skip would wait all season for a team to find itself. So he had a lot of teams that finished you know, third or fourth in the SEC and then got to the postseason and just crushed teams. Um, Manieri's teams tend to win the SEC, then get to the postseason, then get upset. And while that's irritating, it's still the mark of a quality program. If you're playing in the Supers every year, it is hard to complain about it. Yep. You know, you sit around and be like, oh, well, we got upset by Stony Brook. Or... You know, we lost to Houston that one year. Um, those are, in the grand scheme of things, as much as those losses on an individual basis hurt, program's in great shape. But this is definitely one of those teams where this is the year. Yeah, I'm looking at it, just overview here. I mean, if we make the College World Series this year, he's made it five times in ten years and yeah. won it once. That's great. Yeah, there's not much to – can't really complain. Really, of the teams that didn't make the College World Series, the only one I'm mad about is the Houston Series. Is that 13? Yeah, I think that's the one, that's the one where the ball got stuck on the wall. Yeah, you know, we got, yeah. But he completely mismanaged the pen in that series. I, I mean, it was bad. And – like, Stony Brook was irritating, but if you remember, there was a lot of weather problems. It turned out, like, a lot of those Stony Brook players ended up getting drafted. It was a better team than we thought. We we looked at the name, not the roster. Yeah. So I think in retrospect, the Stony Brook series isn't as hard to take. It's the Houston series where, yeah, LSU just – that's the one he choked on. Trying to find the results. 
I can't find it. Whatever. Yeah. It's not worth it. Until it's 13. But, you know, they all start to run together after a while. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Um, but that was the one where he definitely, he kept floundering around in the pen. He would get a guy who finally would get outs and then would bench him and bring in another guy. It was like he finally found a hot arm. It was like, oh, well, I'm just going to get rid of him and put in another guy. <laughs> so, as I've said with with him, it's weird. He has a um, a quick hook for starters and a slow hook for relievers. I mean, the other way around. I mean, a slow hook for starters and a quick hook for relievers, which is kind of the opposite of the way you want it. Um, he, you know, he, he waits for guys that just get into way too much trouble before he pulls them. But then on the other hand, in the, in the bullpen, he just he then will cycle through six relievers. And you're, you're like, man, it's like he's he keeps looking until he finds one guy having a bad day. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just got to commit and say, this is the guy who's going to, you know, I'm going to go into the pen. This guy's going to get me, you know, six outs. Yeah, I feel like every good team has that sort of killer, the stopper. Yeah, and, and I don't want to say LSU has lacked a bullpen ace because that's not entirely true. No, um, and I still like Austin Bain back there, and but we'll we'll see what what happens. Like I'm not, I, I just don't know what the pen's going to look like yet, just because they they haven't really needed it yet. Well, yeah, when you're blasting people like eleven to nothing, you don't really. <laughs> Yeah, the New Orleans game was a midweek game, and I'm I'm kind of letting that one slide. So, fourteen to nothing. Excuse me. Yeah, fourteen to nothing, and, and yeah, just just annihilated them. It was fun. I mean, it's everything the base you know, coming off the baseball season. It's just nice to have a team be good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my resounding endorsement. Yeah, wow, thanks. Uh, <laughs> no, but it just gets so depressing, you know. And look, and Jim is really great, and Jim has a huge series, has a huge meet this weekend against Florida. Um, LSU's number two team in the country. They're going to be playing the number three team in the country. I, I mean, that's as big as it gets, uh, other than playing number one, which they've already done this year. But that said, the stakes are still kind of low at this point. LSU knows they're going to have a really high regional qualifying score, we're now just waiting for the postseason. Yeah, that's what well, I guess it's a, about a month off, huh? A little yeah. less. A little bit less, but yeah, come April is when you. Yeah, April is when all the, the big meets happen. So you're, you know, you want to be peaking, but at the same time, look, you want to be Florida because you want to be Florida, but at the same time, this meet doesn't mean anything. You know, it doesn't help you win an SEC title because it's, the SEC meet will be its own meet. Yep. Um, you, you just want to keep seeing good scores. So, I don't know. It's, it's hard. I don't want to say it's hard to get up for this one, but it's, I'm saving myself because this is about the postseason. This team is – the gym team is so good, it's about the postseason. And honestly, the baseball team is going to be like that as well. Yeah, that's it. You're um... – it's it's not the build up or the track of the season for either of those squads. It's yeah, and they do. Yeah, they'll be playing with rosters. They play around the margins. You know, work on the back end because they're trying to get be peaking at the right time. Of course. And there's something to be said for that. That can be interesting in its own right. But 
it's not as interesting as like you know the dogfight of a football season where every game it's you know if you lose the world ends yeah life or death yeah it just that's just not how those seasons work I was trying to find this uh, audit report about our financials. Yeah, where they had all the, uh, um, whatchamacallit, the, we're making $80 million yeah. in revenue or something like that. Jesus Christ. Our basketball team actually made money. Yeah, but some of that's kind of, I don't entirely buy that. Because remember, we get the check from the NCAA for the tournament. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, I guess... The two things driving money on it for the basketball team are the TV contract, which we have nothing to do with, and the money from the NCAA for the you know March Madness, and LSU has nothing to do with that. So yeah, I was gonna say your expenses stay pretty low when you don't have to pay for travel to a tournament. Yeah, yeah, it helps. So yes, basketball is making money, but they're not adding anything. They're only making money because they're part of the SEC. We're, we're like Vanderbilt. You know, we're, we're riding the wave. And Vanderbilt basketball is actually traditionally kind of good. You know, not great, but... I wonder what the uh, men's swimming pulled $27,555. Yeah. And what? Tickets? Yeah, like, the tickets are free, so... Yeah, like, well, what were they making money on? Concessions? <laughs> Maybe you know. Also, they sell like the you know the LSU swimming shirts. Like maybe they can yeah, apparel. Okay, yeah, but that's you know like specific to swimming. But also, if you'll note, um, if you look at other sports, there's a huge chunk of TV money. I think it was like eighteen yeah. million just stashed in other sports. And I think that's the SEC network money. Huh. Yeah, I don't know, but that that would be my guess. Yeah, it makes sense. And so I don't think the other sports are doing quite as poorly as we, that report says it is. It's just because it's how you've pushed the paper. Like LSU Gym is on TV. Every game is televised now. Mm-hmm. They're on – and they tend to be the SEC Network game on Friday night yeah, because of the whole Friday night thing. I mean every other week they're on the SEC Network, not just the website. But yet their TV money is negligible because the SEC deal isn't broken out like that. So I actually think Jim's making more money than you think. And same with softball and even baseball. Because I think that big hunk of change we're getting from the SEC network isn't broken down by sport. But if you actually looked at what's driving that, yeah, it's – it's really gym and baseball. I think the SEC Network's done a really good job with gymnastics. What are the ratings? God, I don't think they're great, but yeah. you know, it's better than zero. It's, I, but I like the, they've created this product, that whole Friday Night Flights thing. I think that's right. really, like, you know, they've created an identifiable product, and then come postseason, you know, the Super Six does pretty well. Yeah, they're investing in it, so they're not going to get monster numbers, but you know. They have to start somewhere. Yes. So, uh, these things are always fascinating. I mean, everyone knows football carries the load. It's just... Yeah, it does. It's, it's all about football. And, and remember, this is... Fr- 
LSU athletics are a nonprofit, so they can't show profit. Yeah. So they have to spend money on ridiculous things in order to drive up expenses. This is an athletic program that has every incentive to not tighten its belt and to waste money. And it's still, you know, showing a profit because it just turns it over to the university. And that is why Joe Oliva is probably nowhere close to ever getting fired. No, but you're right. But also how much of it's him. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because a lot of this money is coming from, you know, uh, conference distribution, the TV deal. We don't, we don't have our own TV deal. You know, it's it's the SEC network. That's true. So how much is he really bringing in? I, I mean, he is bringing in money. He does a lot with the parking. I know it drives people mad. This is my defense of Oliva has always been no one likes the accountant. Right. And he has been remarkably good at squeezing the last dollar out of LSU Tiger fans in football season. <laughs> Which is why he's loathed. Uh, which is why he's loathed, but that is the job. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, how much does that stuff actually matter? Like, yes, he's monetized a lot of campus in the fall, but how much has he added to the, the bottom line, really? Yeah, he hasn't really seemed to necessarily elevate us financially to my knowledge I mean the elevation has come from external forces like the SEC network yeah I would say the one thing that has elevated the brand was and I'll give credit to basketball and this one was having Ben Simmons on campus for sure that and they probably didn't capitalize on it the way they should no they didn't but just getting him to campus was at least something but also it's hard to capitalize when you didn't win yeah I think in terms of – I think this is one thing Ogeron might actually do well, just judging by early – like the the signing day presentation and graphics and like the official tweets from the LSU football account were much yeah. more refined than they were I agree. in the past. And I think – like it was kind of bullshit that Leonard Fournette never got like a proper Heisman campaign from LSU. I, I, this has been a long, a long time thing for me. LSU, the reason we've ne- we don't ever get Heisman finalists has n- only a little to do with the quality of a team. It has been RPR has been terrible. Yeah, I, I mean the fact that Jamarcus Russell was not a Heisman finalist is a condemnation of our press office. Yeah, uh, that. That shouldn't have happened. Like, he was a slam... You look at the numbers, he was a slam dunk finalist. Yeah, his numbers were as good as the winner that year, so... Yeah. And and same thing with Fournette. The fact that Fournette didn't get invited... I can get it this year. He was injured. He only played, you know, six or seven games. Oh, yeah, sure. This year, but... His sophomore year, not getting invited. That can't happen. Yeah, I'm hoping that... You know, O brings some experience to that. I don't know. I mean, he's got the whole USC tie, and USC certainly does flash and PR well. So Yeah, so I'd like to see Darius Geis as a Heisman finalist. Yeah. Would be, I, it would be truly ironic if that Fournette leaves and then Geis gets to, you know, be a Heisman finalist. <laughs> Watch him just win the damn thing. Yeah. 
which would be great. I mean, I'm. Oh yeah. You know, I'm on board for that. But what is there? This is probably a whole other thing. But is there anything guys could do to surpass Fournette in terms of like his placement of all time? Um, honestly, no, because I think Fournette's number one. But can he? Can guys be a top five running back all time at LSU? Um, I think he'd have to be invited to the Heisman ceremony. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily have to win it, but he has to you know be there. I think he has to rush for like fifteen hundred yards, which I mean is a monster amount. And LSU has to at least compete for the SEC title. So it, even if we don't win the title, the team needs to win eleven games. Yeah, I wonder if he could. You know, if he pulls sort of the it, this is not a. It's going to come across as a ding on Fournette, but it's not. If he pulls a sort of reverse Fournette and is like, I don't know, hangs 150 on Alabama, carries the team, quote unquote. Yeah, no, I agree. That would sort of give him a legacy nudge that Fournette didn't have, I guess. I I think beating Bama would really help his legacy. Also, I forgot who tweeted it out today, but one of the uh, NFL sites, you know, know, does all their scouting, said that – Fournette faced more than an eight-man front on like sixty-three percent of his college snaps, or something. Yeah, crazy. that was insane. I saw that. Yeah, and it was more than eight, not eight or more. <laughs> and I'm hoping that was a misprint, but still, eight or more. If if Canada can do for the offense what we hope he can do, guys can rush for more yards because there'll be more opportunity. For sure. Yeah, I'm excited to see the new look offense, but that's a different. That's too yeah, well, yeah, we'll get that shit. Yeah, we'll get into that later. So maybe guys can rush for more yards in a more friendly offense. That's got to be the not, Yeah, which is not everyone in the world gets the tee off on them. Yeah, and it's you know that we're not as deep in running back either. So I mean, he's still going to get a. Fuck ton of carries. Yeah, he really is. Um, I'm not a huge fan of only having one feature back like that, but that's the way it's going to be. I'm still calling the Nick Brosette breakout. That's my. I, I like it because um, I think Williams has shown that he he's not a number two. Yeah, he'll be he, there. He'll be in the mix, but he's not. Yeah, he's a short yardage back. You know, he yeah. he blocks a little bit. He can catch a little, but he's. He's just not that effective of a running back. Yeah, he's a limited player. Yeah, I mean, I really like him. He's he's my kind of player. He is your kind of player. He really is. But I also know that you don't want to base your offense on the James Stampleys of the world. <laughs> oh. Should we talk about the Oscars debacle? Yeah. Let me, uh, should we just I'll, talk about the Oscars? The Oscars generally as well. So. But yeah, let's do the debacle first. So. I'll let you take that. Well, I was, I mean, I watched the whole show and I, I don't really give much of a shit about most of the speeches. Every now and then, you know, if there's a really good one, I'm into it. I think it's fair. But especially for like Best Picture, because it's some Joe, you know, Jay, whatever producer that I don't give a fuck about, some rich dude. you like, I don't care, you know? So I really don't give a shit what he has to say most of the time. So I pretty much tuned out when they announced it. You know, and then I'm like back to fucking around on my Twitter feed and just sort of whatever. I was drunk, so I was just 
Yeah. Dilly-dallying around and winding the night down. And then I see, like, you know, a stream of, like, what the fuck, what the fuck, what the fuck? <laughs> and I was like, what's going on? And my feed was slower than everybody else's, and it had been all night. So I was like, well, something must have happened. Like, I thought maybe the dude just, like, went AWOL in his speech or something. Yeah. And, then, you know, of course, my feed caught up, and I was like, oh, my God. But, you know, that producer was a boss about it. Like, he was super generous and very accommodating. And I'm sure, like, he was terribly heartbroken, but he owned it and was very gracious in the way he... Yeah, it shows that how you handle things matters a lot. Because yeah. it would have been a lot worse had he not been so gracious. And I think what's important about that, not just an example of someone being gracious, which we could just use in society more. What I really like about it is award shows, and I'll, I'll just use the Oscars, but it also it just happened recently in the Grammys and stuff. They get reduced to horse races and it becomes like every, it becomes sports and everybody starts yelling at each other. It's like, Oh, this, you know, this is undeserving and stuff. And then like everyone, everybody gets mad for their team. Yeah. And they'll start tearing down the other one. They'll be like, this is the worst thing ever. And it really happened after the Grammys this year. Just people were flipping the fuck out over really nothing. I mean, just nothing. <laughs> um, and it, it that kind of tribalism just bothers me because it shouldn't really be about that because you don't need an award to tell you that a movie is good. and Or like that Beyonce is good. And by the way, Beyonce has like more Grammys than just about any other human being on the planet. So chill the fuck out, people. Um, <laughs> but it's this kind of... I like that it was a moment where they stopped being competitors and they were colleagues. Because he, he seemed genuinely happy for them. He's like, no, yeah. we didn't... He's like, no, we weren't named Best Picture... They did it, and I'm honored to hand you the award. And I think it changed the dynamic of award shows. And it, I wish people would have paid more attention to that, and we didn't get as many hot takes about like you know this you know this guy's walking around with this guy's Oscar, or like this movie is the worst movie ever because it won an Oscar that you know should have gone to another you know another film. And what's funny about that is that. La La Land, I was kind of tweeting during the night, was kind of headed for that fate. If La La Land wins the Best Picture Oscar, it would have gone down as one of the undeserved for sure. Oscars. It would have gone down with Shakespeare in Love, which, by the way, I still think is a better movie than um, Saving Private Ryan. Uh-oh. You know, it'll go down with uh, Crash over Brokeback Mountain. And by the way, Brokeback Mountain... Meh, kind of meh. Crash sucks too, but it's not the travesty. Is okay. American Beauty that that shouldn't have won, but like it was going to be lumped in with those movies, and it was gonna it was gonna act as a drag on its reputation for years. And instead, by losing and losing so graciously, yeah. and, if and if you've seen the movie in kind of a way that mimics the film, <laughs> yeah, it really does. It restored it to its underdog stature, which is kind of what the film always was. And so I think long term, this will help La La Land. I think I think losing the Academy Award for Best Picture, particularly in this manner, saved La La Land's critical reputation. You know, I hadn't really like taken it to that level of thinking about it 
Uh, that's a good point. I mean, because it, it stopped the backlash in its tracks. What's funny is I was saying the entire night that you know if you're a fan of Moonlight, you want it to lose Best Picture because then it becomes the Goodfellas rule, where this movie was just too great for the Academy to honor. Yeah, and there's a long line of films that were just you know they were just too great. You know, Fargo. You know, uh, Goodfellas. Of course, I'm calling it the Goodfellas rule. Apocalypse Now, like these great films that have, you know, Raging Bull, like these films that were just, that are still recognized as great pieces of art, but also they were just so hard to handle and they were kind of in your face and kind of these aggressive, I hate to say manly films, but I'll say manly films. And Moonlight really fits into that genre. <clears throat> but the last turn, it won. Yeah. The that end up winning the Academy Award don't get remembered as well. I think long term, this might not help Moonlight's critical reputation because there's nothing a, cr- a critic enjoys more than trying to revive a film's reputation. Yeah, I think a bad part too, and I think Moonlight was deserving of winning. Uh, Based on uh, you haven't seen it yet, right? I haven't seen Moonlight. I would actually say the movie that I thought was the best that I saw this year was Arrival. But yeah, Arrival was. I, I had this ongoing debate with some people in my family because every, everyone liked Lion, which is really beautiful, um, and Lion was a good movie, and I enjoyed Lion a lot. I didn't see it as like. A, I don't know. Whenever I'm looking for best picture, I look for something that I think of a, like kind of paradigm shifting or like doing something different or original. So maybe that's my snooty artist take. No, and that's fine. Like, I think it's interesting when you look at the career, how best picture has changed over the years. Um, like in the '80s, you kind of had a really. It was very much. What lesson can we learn from this movie? Right. You know, it was, you know, very driving Miss Daisy, terms from her, of endearment, you know, stuff like, you know, hey, racism is bad. Yeah. We shouldn't treat deaf people like shit, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> um, and then, um, Gandhi, you know, Gandhi good, woo! Um, and then you had this hard turn in the early 90s where suddenly independent film won a few awards in a row, where you had, uh, in 1990, uh, Dances with Wolves, which is kind of the last gasp of the 80s. Hey, Native Americans are great, right? And it beat Goodfellas. And then in 1991, the very next year, Silence of the Lambs wins. <laughs> and that is a paradigm shifter. Yes. Because that's the dark, broody film that wins. And then you have a couple of years where films like that kind of won. Um, I mean, not a ton of as it you had uh, from ninety one, you had Signs of the Lambs, Unforgiven, Unforgiven, yeah, yeah, Schindler's List. I mean, just three in a row. Okay, Schindler's List could kind of be a throwback, but these really dark films. Unforgiven is a you know it, it's a revival of the westerns where you know you reexamine it, you know, tears down um, you know what you your preconceived notions of a western, and then all of a sudden ninety four you get Forrest Gump, and you're kind of like Hollywood reasserts itself. Yeah. And so you kind of have this weird era, and then all of a you know this weird era where it doesn't know what it's doing. Like Shakespeare in Love wins one, but Titanic wins one, 
And then I think things change, like Gladiator comes along. And that's exactly, you, know, you get these big, huge movies. Yeah, the big production. Shit. Yeah, and I think, when I think of Oscars, that's kind of what I think of. Like because that's big, what like, does best. You think like, of the big scale productions, like Lord of the Rings type stuff? Yeah, like but also like Gladiator, Chicago. I mean, as much as people make fun of Chicago, that's an Oscar winning kind of movie. It's a huge, big budget. Only Hollywood can afford the, you know, those kind of special effects, that kind of cast. Yeah, yet yeah. still put it together and aim it at you know adults. Yeah, not something subdued like Manchester by the Sea. Right, like that's that's what wins Sundance. Yeah, and I, but what's happened in the last couple of years? There's kind of been this dynamic where they've been going back and forth between these big movies and um, smaller films, which I think really started with No Country for Old Men because the Coen brothers finally win their Oscar. Yep. And then I think you kind of go back and forth, you know, between like movies like King's Speech, 12 Years a Slave, which are kind of these, you know, these big Hollywood movies. And then the last three years, we've had three really, really small movies. It's been Birdman, Spotlight, Moonlight. And those are three small, intimate, artsy films. Yeah, they are. And I, I think Oscar is recontextualizing itself. It's moving away from these these big movies. I think five years ago, Arrival wins. Or a decade ago, I think it certainly wins. But right now, Hollywood doesn't see itself in that light. It's kind of ashamed of its big movies. Even... And so what it wants to do is it wants to honor – it wants to honor, I, I hate, capital A art. Yeah. I, I think they're going through a snooty phase. And some of them will age well and some of them won't. So I, I'm not going to make a judgment which ones will and which one won't. But I think Moonlight fits very comfortably in that genre. It, well, the other piece too that's very interesting about Moonlight is it's – it's a very black production. Yes. <laughs> black writers, black director, black actors. And, you know, they Hollywood has on, undergone their own, you know, yeah, insinuations of racism. I will we say. are one year away from Oscar So White. Yeah, exactly. So it behooves them to do this. Uh, I'm not saying that's why they did. I'm just saying... No, I don't think that's why they did, but it also was a factor. One thing I did not like, I did, I read a lot of film criticism even without having seen the movie. Mm-hmm. So I have found Moonlight fans to be the most obnoxious. Interesting. And it's mainly like this whole, well, La La Land is just this movie that's, oh, it's just Oscar bait because it's a movie about, you know, how great art is. Mm-hmm. And I get, you know, because the artist won, you know, Argo won. You know, Birdman is essentially, you know, about how great art is. I get it. Or movies about ourselves. Yeah, movies about ourselves is Hollywood's favorite topic. Right. To degree. So there is an Oscar baiting that. But also a movie about that essentially the plot is it's really hard to grow up as a gay black man who was the son of a crack whore is also pretty damn Oscar baity. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for you're sure. getting every demo. Yeah. I mean, that is identity politics to the core. And I don't mind it because if it's good, it's good. And I, once again, I haven't seen it, but I, everyone I've seen, everyone I know who's seen it has said it's great. So this isn't a knock on the film itself. But for 
partisans of that movie to talk about demographics and Oscar bait to bash one movie and not recognize about the movie they're putting forward is bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) But not surprising. Yeah, I mean, not surprising, but at least admit it. Like, this is clearly a lot of the fans of Moonlight Online and I'm not talking about the really good film critics. I'm talking about, like, you know, the groundswell. A lot of it is because of the demographics. Oh, for sure. And I find that to just be irritating. Like, The Ringer had this thing about, like, when they're the, the big loser was Moonlight because it deserved its moment. It's like, oh, shut the fuck up, right? I'm sure he will he'll be okay with his best picture Oscar. <laughs> and honestly, the symbolism was pretty great for him. Like you have this stage full of white people and they know you lose and they swept them off stage and that's had this run of black actors run up on stage. Like, <laughs> to like rousing applause. Like Yeah, that's it actually was, that's clearly even, more well received than Moonlight was. Yeah, that's even better. <laughs> yeah. So, I just wish they would acknowledge that bit of it, it definitely was helped by identity politics. Now as far as the quality of the film, I, don't, I think it has nothing to do with it. The quality of the film is the quality of the film. Like, let's be honest, Birth of the Nation had the same politics, but it didn't get off the ground because the movie wasn't as good. Yeah. Well, and, you know. Yeah, there was also that. But look, Casey Affleck won for Manchester by the Sea. Yeah, that's that was very interesting. And, and so that's not disqualifying. Um, being, uh, you know, sexual assaults apparently, you know, only matters in certain cases. Uh, so yeah I just I understand that politics exist. it's a political award and honestly if you think about it is it's basically the big industry award so if it wasn't on TV the film industry would still get together just like any industry does and give itself awards like you know there's the Advertisers get together and they have awards. Like lawyers get together and, you know, we have the the super lawyers and the top 100. You know, we don't all go to the banquet, but, you know, they still have this shit. You know, every profession has this kind of thing where they get together, they hand out awards to people. It's only with actors that we care about it because entertainment is sort of, you know, it's it's replaced religion in Karl Marx's old thing that it's the – the opiate of the masses. Mm-hmm. It's now pop culture, not religion. So we all want to watch their industry awards. But at the end of the day, it's the industry awards. And so it's hard for me to ever be upset by a winner, unless it's a, a film I think is truly bad. Um, and I don't get any vibe off of that. And also, sometimes you do want to be making a political statement. I mean, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, look, last year, you, you know, we went to this Oscar so white controversy, we hadn't, I, we hadn't nominated a black man or a black woman for a major award in forever are bad. Here, we're making up for it this year. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that, particularly Viola Davis should have won an Oscar like 10 years ago. Yeah, I think there's part of it too that is, I, this went through my brain with thinking about the Moonlight thing, is like, it's not just a claim and like that they get nominated and win awards and things. That's a piece of it. But it's also that like, a movie like Moonlight can get funded and get produced and get yeah, money and, uh, and get marketing, you know, and get shit that they 
probably wouldn't have five years ago. That also goes to um, the studio. Uh, what is it? A twenty four. They've done some really cool shit. Like um, they put out Ex Machina. They put out Spring Breakers. I haven't seen it. Uh, Spring Breakers. I love Ex Machina. Yeah, um, I don't. I I hate Harmony Comine, but I understand. Yeah, you know, like I don't like guys who are like I'm shocking. Look how shocking I'm being. Like yeah, that's obnoxious. When I was twenty, I liked it. I'm forty. I don't give a shit anymore. I don't get shocked. So I didn't like it nor was i shocked it was just kind of boring to me but i get what he was doing and i i kind of appreciate but a24 has built a reputation of putting out they put out the witch which is a really great horror movie this year um they're doing really cool shit right now and so yeah moonlight's entirely up their alley they're the kind of studio to be like you know what we're gonna make a movie about growing up black and gay (laughs) in miami in the 80s and we're going to throw our entire marketing soul behind it. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, that's ballsy as shit. Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> I mean, they basically said that A24 has now reached the, the status where they can say, this movie is going to make it because we say it's cool. Yeah. And very few studios ever reach that point. Like Miramax was very briefly like that in the mid-90s. What for what? When the Miramax put out Pulp Fiction, yeah, okay. And uh, but they also put out like a lot of stuff like that. They put out Swingers, and you know they they were an aggressive. Yeah, studio. I guess they went through the more. Yeah, like the. You know, they, as cool as the word, I don't know. Yeah, they won for Shakespeare and Shakespeare and Love was you know, the Miramax marketing campaign. That's the Weinstein brothers throwing their dick around, and here, yeah, it's. It, Basically, A24 is basically, they're known as, we have good taste. You know, if we put our money behind a movie, you can go see this and know it's going to be good. And they've only been around for a couple of years. I mean, I never heard, I mean, I don't follow studios that closely, but I don't think they're that old of a studio. Yeah, I'm not familiar and, with them, really. And they're already up, when it, you know, they're already winning an Oscar. And they did it by basically having faith in a movie. They said, you know, we're going to fund this. You know, we're going to put our mic behind it, and we don't care what other people think is cool. And we're going to put it, we're going to put this stuff in multiplexes. Like Moonlight didn't just show in art theaters. Oh no, we saw it at a huge fucking AMC. <laughs> yeah, like I, I think that's the important thing. They're getting access to you know the suburbs and stuff like that, and that matters. That means people are going to see the film, and yes, they're not seeing the same numbers that they're seeing. The Avengers. Sure. But they're still seeing these movies. And also, that's what I kind of like about what the Oscars are doing right now. They're saying, look, these Marvel movies, they're going to make their $500 million. And we don't need to shine a spotlight on them because they're going to make all this money on their own. So we're going to use our annual commercial to spotlight these really good films that you might not have seen. And I think there's value to that. And I, I think they're saying, like, this stuff is good and you should be watching this. For sure. And we and we don't care that it only made $20 million. It should have made $100 million or it should have made $200 million. It just didn't. So – and it probably didn't because you didn't know about it. So here it is. Like, this is the stuff. And also what was cool about this Oscars was no one really ran away with it. Like, everybody thought this was going to be a coronation for La La Land. But 
you know, Hacksaw Ridge won two Oscars. Um, just about every, you know, Manchester by the Sea won a, you know, won a best a best actor award. Fucking Suicide uh, Squad. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> but like Fences, you know, Viola Davis, who I mentioned, you know, she won for best supporting actress. You know, like there was a definite spreading of the wealth. Yeah. Where a lot of films, and that's really what the Oscars can do. You can come out of it and say, hey, doesn't this look interesting? Like, you like movies? How about, how about you check out this one? Yeah, A24, not to backtrack too heavily, but it's also they're like marrying themselves to quote unquote art films. You know, like, those are very arty yeah. films. Like, Moonlight is a very arty film. Like, when I walked out of it, I was like, that was a very art film. Like, it, it felt yeah. like an independent movie. But it's like, yeah, they make art films that you feel like that aren't trying to talk down to its audience. No. Yeah, they're not trying to be like, yeah, like you'll never get this because it's just too over your head, man. Right. Because, uh, you know, there are that – they're not putting out movies by uh, – oh, what's his face? Who I, I love – Shane Carruth. I mean, yeah. I love his movies. But, like, you want to talk about an art movie, go check out Upstream Color. <laughs> I mean, that's a difficult movie. And of course, it's not going to do well. Like that's not the kind of movie. Oscar. Yeah, it doesn't Oscar's appeal. Get down to that level of art movie. So there's still a thing of like Moonlight still has structure. It's a three act play. Yeah. And you know, and there's still like great performances. There's things that any fan of movies can hang their hat on without being. I mean, it's still a challenging movie, but at the same time, it's not challenging. It's they're not breaking down the form, you know, kind of thing, what some art movies can do. For sure. But but they are presenting, like, it is an unconventional presentation, like a three-act play. There was no leading actor, per se. Yeah, I, yeah, I do agree with that. They, were, they think, weren't following traditional models, I guess. Yeah, it's more that they're saying that we will tell stories about whatever we want. And how we want to, kind of. They put out The Lobster this year. I mean, you want to talk about a weird movie. Oh, I want to watch that. I've heard... Yeah. My, my mom hated it. I watched that with my mom. She hated it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but that's just the kind of thing they do. Like, there's, they're, they're, they're at the point right now where they're like, trust us. And honestly, there's a very small window where you can do that. Because Lionsgate had that a few years ago. And now Lionsgate, I mean, they put out a ton of movies now. But for a while, it was like, oh, no one else would put this out. Lionsgate would. They were the movie that you – know, they were the distributor that would pick up films that no one else would touch. Right. And now it's, you know, they're a big studio now. And that, and, and but, you know, it, it all ebbs and flows. You know, like, uh, like Fox Searchlight didn't even exist a few years ago. And let's face it, it's still owned by Fox. It's not like, and so you have right. this, this whole thing where you're like, well, if it's put out under this brand, we think a different thing about this movie than if we just put it under the 20th Century Fox name. You know, there's a lot of ignorance about this from myself included. Um, I actually learned a lot about this recently for various reasons that I won't disclose. But uh, like Fox Searchlight, you know, they kind of operate independently. So, they, you know, yes, it is under the Fox umbrella, but they kind of have their own smaller budget that they have to make things work on. So they don't have money like big, huge studios. They're technically considered. Yeah, they're, they're, they're like a craft brewery. Basically, yeah. like they're smaller scale, and so they have to really be diligent in the projects they choose and how they market and what they do with them. So, 
pretty fascinating because you think when you see Fox, you're like, oh, no, of course, they're right? they have yeah. millions, yeah. But it's, it's, they don't. What I do think is interesting is that the Oscars are in a period where they're really going out of their way to honor smaller films. Uh, they're bending over backwards. Yeah. And I think there's value to that because we're in a weird period. Like, I don't agree. Like, a lot of the old guard, like, I'm talking um, Steven Spielberg has said it, but um, Scorsese's come out and talked about it, saying, like, you just can't make movies anymore. You know, they're talking about how film is dying. And I don't agree with them on that, but I do think their model is dying. So they can't, you know, and once you. I'm not going to blame them for being old and set in their ways. Like, Martin Scorsese has made so many great films that... Yeah, it's ridiculous. He He's allowed to say whatever he wants, and he's right. Um, but at the same time, the whole dynamic of films has really changed where you have, like, these really big tentpole, tentpole films. The, I, this is the extreme moneymakers. They put in $200 million into the movie... And they need to make three hundred million just to make their money back. Right. I mean, I mean, just crazy numbers. And there used to be a solid middle class where you know the Hollywood would invest twenty five, thirty million dollars, or whatever the equivalent was back then, and the movie would make fifty million. And everybody goes home happy. Now that's look, Moonlight was made for one point five million dollars, which is almost nothing. Yeah. Um, La La Land, I think, it was made for like ten million. I don't know the exact number, but like you're seeing a lot smaller budgets for basically films aimed at adults, which means they don't have to make as much to make their money back, but it's also harder for them. They don't hit the public consciousness as much. Like, you look at, like, films in the 80s and 90s, like, just, like, Rain Man made, like, something like $100, $200 million when it was was out. It was a huge hit. And in today's market, Rain Man would never be a hit. It would come out, it would do pretty good business, and then go away. So I don't really think films have changed. The business has changed. But also it changes how we perceive these films because, you know, we, we, we used to see these films – I'll just call it films aimed at adults – were seen as really huge moneymakers and they were – you know, that was Hollywood. And now we see them as small independent movies when really it's – they're the same kind of film. It's just that the money has entirely changed. Yeah. So I think twins, uh, twins made 216 million, which one twins. (laughs) Yeah. But rightfully the Academy has shifted to that reality. And I think that's a good thing. They've said, Hey, you know what? Just because this movie only made 20, 30 million, it's still a really good film. And in a previous era, it would have made a ton of money. So let's, let's not worry about gross receipts quite that much. I think there's a shift in cultural, like general cultural, Taste towards things like that too. Yeah, it's not just film. You know, it's craft breweries, it's craft distilleries, it's TV. Etsy, it's yeah, it's low production, handmade YouTube stars. Like as much as people make fun of that shit, people love that shit. <laughs> well, so can you imagine the Emmys if they only honored the stuff on the broadcast networks, which still. It's still a huge war, yeah. Which still get much bigger viewership than anything on HBO. Or FX or Netflix. Yeah, and I can remember even like two or three years ago, stuff like, oh, that's a Hulu show? That's not even like a real TV show, you know? 
and now, like, can you imagine if, like, Blue Bloods was winning all of the uh, Emmys? People would go ape shit. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, this is where you start getting off into the industry stuff, which I think is interesting, but I'm not in the film industry, so I don't care quite that much. But what I care about is I care that good movies keep coming out. And I think as a film fan, there are more good movies coming out than ever before. They come from all sorts of sources. Mm-hmm. You can get so many places. Different means. It's, yeah, this is really a good time to be a film fan. It's just that, you know what? It is a little bit more work. You're not going to have it shoved down your throat quite as much as you did back in the day. Um, if you go to the Cineplex, it's going to be dominated by big tentpole films, and they're going to be showing on four screens. You know, go to one of the smaller theaters. There's going to be a good movie show in there. And if you're lucky enough to live in a city that has – uh, an art, you know, an art you know, house, go to it. Like, we have the Angelica here in Dallas. It's great. Oh, yeah. You can get some booze. Yeah, sit there, get some booze, watch some great movies. And, and look, they also have, like, Alamo, like, which isn't quite an art house, but they definitely have... Yeah, they turn that way. Of, yeah, they're more kitschy, which I like. Yeah. You know, they're not as full of themselves, so they'll show... Beep. Horror movies and shit. Yeah, yeah, and they'll also do a lot of revivals, which is fun. But yeah, like I, I think, what is it? it's a good time to be a film fan. Like, there's a lot of stuff happening, and there's a lot of there's a real changing of the guard. And when there's a change in the guard, you don't know what's going to come next. So I think there's still, all of the movie industry is trying to find their footing. Because we're not going to see movies like Arrival a whole lot. And as much as I really enjoyed that, that is definitely a throwback to another era. Arrival was fascinating. I don't know. It wasn't what I expected. Because it was... It's it's a spin on an alien movie that hasn't really been done. No, and I thought what was really good about it is they really got into the terror of First Contact. It's, it's not a horror movie. But that scene where they're climbing up to make first contact is terrifying because literally anything could be there. Yeah, you have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, because like – and I don't mean this in a horror movie of like, oh, you know, somebody's going to burst out of this chest and something horrible. Like I mean literally anything could happen. You're just – it's like are are they going to be giant gelatinous fish? Are they going to be, you know, ethereal, you know, just smoke monsters? Are they Mm going to like – you had no idea what was coming, and it really touched into first contact. If you actually made first contact with aliens, you would have no idea what's on the other side of that door. Yeah, and how to respond, or yeah, how to yeah, and then it becomes about communication, which I, I love that angle of it. But yeah. still, it was for a non-horror movie that was a real. They really tap into just how scary. That would have been, and it's only like five minutes. They don't make a big deal about it, but I thought that was—I love it when a film kind of changes genre on you for even for a moment. For sure. Yeah, I, I, Arrival was probably—it might have been my favorite movie. I because Moonlight to me is a good movie, a great movie. Probably, I'll probably never watch it again. Yeah, and this, this song we're talking about, we're talking about like Manchester by the Sea. Um, I'll definitely I pretty, never watch that again. Like, I had a pretty rough year 
Um, the kid had major surgery. It was kind of awful. I, I don't recommend it. Um, there was no amount of money that was going to get me to go see Manchester by the Sea. Like, I, I do not have the energy as a parent who had a bad year with health of his children to watch a movie like that. Like, I, I would have done it when I was, you know, single. I would have seen it, but like, I just couldn't make myself want to watch that movie in any way. Uh, and, and that's nothing against the film. And I don't, I'm not saying that sad films have no value. I'm just saying where I am in my life, I couldn't do it. <laughs> like, and I mean, I'm glad those movies do get made, but it definitely makes it hard. Like, I don't feel the obligation to see like everything that's nominated, you know, but the thing is there was movies for us all, no matter what you liked, I'm a huge horror movie fan. This was a great year for horror movies. The best movie I saw this year was green room. And films like that don't get recognized as much. No, they don't, which ticked me off because Patrick, Patrick Stewart was in it and uh, um, Imogen Heaps was in it. So, like, I thought it actually had a shot at, you know, getting something. Yeah, it was, that's some name cash, right? I mean, like, it, you know, it was an art film. You know, it was a horror movie that disguised as an art movie. Um, God, it was good. But, uh, but also, you know, there's different strokes for different folks. and But also as a... This is where I was going to my parent thing. I'm normally a year behind. It's right. hard for me to see stuff in the theater. So basically, I just caught back up on 2015. I finally saw the last of the Best Picture nominees about two months ago. I finally caught up with all last year. I finally saw Bridge of Spies. That was the last one on my list. Yeah, I like uh, that movie. I really liked Bridge of Spies. I thought it was much better. Like, I... I, I, I I think a year removed, I still would have voted for Mad Max because I think Mad Max Fury Road is the best action movie I've ever seen in my life. But honestly, I have no problem with Spotlight winning. I thought Spotlight was a great, great movie. It really was. And, and I mean, if I was making my – looking at last year's nominees, if I was making my list of my favorites, I probably would have gone Mad Max, Big Short, and then it would have kind of been a toss-up between Spotlight and Bridge of Spies. So – like I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been my number one. But going back to where we started from, colleagues, not competition. I can see the greatness in Spotlight, and I'm glad a movie like that was honored. For sure, even though it wasn't the movie that would have been my top choice. Before we put a complete bow on this, can we take two minutes to be to talk about like? I hate this fucking attitude. <laughs> Uh, we I made a joke about it, but like the cool guy sports Twitter dude oh, that's like so above it all. Oh yeah, fuck you. Yeah, I'm just like yeah, go away. Like no one cares. For, yeah, first off, we watch games by children. Yeah, we'll add an extra element. We cover college sports, so we we care about games by children. We have no room to criticize anyone, but also a people like what they like yes. and stop trying to tell people what they like is wrong. Like this is the thing they enjoy, but also it's the whole insecurity of it. And this, this will go back to the La La Land thing. How many guys have I talked to? Who are like, well, it's a musical. So like, uh, of course I didn't see it. Like, right. I can say, and I think that's one of the things that hurt its reputation is it's like, cause the movies that don't win Oscars, but have a great reputation once again, are big manly films. La La Land is, a, you know, that's a movie for pussies. Yeah. 
And, like, I hate that shit. Just blow it out your ass. It was a great movie. So I, and I know you've seen Moonlight and I haven't, and I'm sure Moonlight's a great film. I, like, it has... I have not met a person yet who has seen it who has not said great things about it. But, like, different kinds of movies can both be great. And also, not every movie has to be aimed at adolescent men. Yeah. That, that's a major problem. Or has been a problem in the past, I guess. You know, it's it still kind of is a problem. But, like, if you look at when people start complaining about the Oscars, the first thing I don't... You know, and they're saying, well, this film should have won and this one. Look at their entire list of films they mention, you know, before you engage them and see how many of them are basically films that are aimed at adolescent men. And if it's every film they mention that's been unfairly, you know, looked over, you know, fits that category, it's not even worth having the discussion. If they have some interesting films that you're like, oh, all right, yeah, that movie maybe should have been you know, brought up, like, you know, why was you know, why wasn't uh, her, didn't win it, you know, win in 2013 or something like that. Yeah. You know, like, that was a great movie, and like, you know, or, you know, you know, I'm just trying to think of a, a movie off the top of my head. Well, why didn't Black Swan win? Like, that was a great, you know, that was a great, you know, psychological profile, and Natalie Portman, so, like, if they start bringing up movies like that, as well as you know, your raging bulls, I'm much more inclined to listen to your argument. Yeah, exactly. I just don't get it. I don't know. It, you know, it's... I'm going to start, like, when people are, like, talking about the Super Bowl next year and be like, oh, this fucking game. Fuck this shit. Yeah, it's, it's just still macho posturing. And, yeah, and I don't get what they're trying to prove. And just get over yourself. Well, it's, it's just their own insecurities. And, and, you know, and also, you just rob yourself of joy. Like, you know, for years I did the whole, you know, musicals, you know, total fucking shit. And like, <laughs> and like my wife and I, you know, we have theater tickets. We go, you know, I go see six or seven, you know, you know, productions a, a year. They're great. It's great fun. Like, stop, stop robbing yourself of joy because of, you know, what, because you're worried about getting picked on by someone in your fourth grade class. <laughs> you're an adult. Like... Act like it, and that's kind of my. I, I hate the whole. Yeah. Oh, you know why are you watching that thing? That thing's for women. You know, they all. And nothing's worse than girly stuff for girls. Yeah, I like. Uh, I got a kick out of some of the people that like professional wrestling making fun of people being interested in fashion. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, come on. Look. I think professional wrestling is ridiculous. And I, I think the reason that I can't watch it on the level that you watch it is that I, I could get into it on the ironic level, but it just has such a death toll. Yeah. And it just bothers me that, you know, wrestle, you know, pro wrestlers all die so young. Yeah. Hopefully. And, and, yeah. I, and, and like, that's another topic, but like that, it, that does get me into that. Though I do kind of like when I, I told you when I went to a a fun 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 fest, they had a wrestling rink, they had underground wrestling. It was freaking great. I had a blast. Was, you know, these guys were you know, jumping off the ropes and you know, you know, creating little storylines right on the fly. Mm-hmm. And, and that stuff is tons of fun. 
So I'm not going to tell you that your hobby's wrong. It's just not for me. Yeah, I get that. I mean, there's no, you know, I, I just don't get all the the dudes that show up to make like the parting blow to show how cool they are, which I guess is all of Twitter. So I, yeah, I should just log off of Twitter. Yeah, part of it is everybody has to prove how cool they are. And I don't know, as you get older, the, the less concerned you are with being cool. Well, I, I, I know it can be antagonistic on Twitter, but it's more that I just don't give a shit. I'm not trying to put forth the image and have you like me. Mainly because I don't, like, we're not going to be friends. We're not going to go hang out. <laughs> like, this is a place to exchange ideas. So I'm going to say what I think, and you tell me what you think. And, you know, we can talk about, like, civilized human beings, but I'm not trying to put on airs here. Like, what I think is what I think. It's not like, you know, I'm not making it up. And what you think is what you think. And that's really cool. I actually think that's the cool part of Twitter. But, like, when it becomes this contest to, you know, show how cool you are. I don't care. Like, I don't have a book where I'm just, you know, notching everybody's cool points. Oh, you don't? I do. Oh, okay. Well, that's <laughs> that, that, that's our project for the offseason. How will, you know, Anna Valley shook cool points. Hang on. I got to get to your page, marking you down a little. Well, yeah, because I find that most of the time when people say that, you know, are trying to do their cool thing, it's boring because they're saying these socially acceptable answer. They're trying to curry favor by saying what everybody else says. Yeah. And cool it, people. Yeah, it's it's some weird way of trying to fit in, but also trying to be like counterculture, because it's like yeah. pretty much everybody was talking about the Oscars, so like, it's like yeah, you're trying to do two things at once. I don't know. Yeah, but also, you're not counterculture. Like, you know, like Counterculture is not bullshitting on Twitter. I mean, like, yeah. hate to break it to you, but but it's also yeah. But it's, it's it'd be one thing if everybody, if people were having like these wide range of really cool opinions, that'd be one thing. But it, it seems that everybody's cool opinion falls into like, this little narrow box. And fuck that. That's that's stupid. I don't. That's that's boring as shit. That's right. All of your Twitter feeds are boring as shit. No, fall outside the box. Say something different. Like, you know, hate Beyonce or something. Like, you know. Oh, you would love that. What's that? You would love that. Uh, you know, like, the thing is, I, I've actually seen Beyonce in concert. It was fun, but, like. Yeah, you like stirring up the, the Bayhive or whatever the fuck. I do. I do enjoy Just I enjoy anything that has this universal, oh, we all have to like this. No, fuck that. No, we don't. Like. You know, I like, and but the thing is, at the same time, it should be honest. Like, I would love to stir up Star Wars fans because they're, you know, they're easy targets. But I'm one of them. I really like Star Wars movies. I am. I still haven't seen any of the new Star Wars. There, um, my wife who hate is I don't want to say hates Star Wars, but she's kind of indifferent towards it, as much as someone our age can be. She really liked Rogue One. She said it was the best Star Wars movie she's ever seen. Yeah, my wife has not watched a single Star Wars and has no interest, even though we've had multiple friends and friends' wives who are similar to your wife say, yeah. you should go see it. It's I, really good. She's like, no. Yeah, like Rogue One works as a standalone event. And also it has a different tone. 
So I, I would suggest that. You know, like, but if she doesn't want to see it, like, you know, there's no, there's no reason to be obstinate. Like, people aren't lying to you. They really enjoy this stuff. <laughs> like, this gets back to our chief tenet, which is like what you like and don't really yeah. give a fuck what anybody says about it. Yeah, like what you like. And honestly, like, don't be afraid to defend what you like. Say, you know, I like this. And someone says, I think it's shitty. You're like, all right, well, that's cool. This is why I like it. And also, I think that's the way that you can get me to like something. You can say, I like this, this, and this about it. Like, I like your defenses of wrestling. I'm still not going to watch it. I mean, you know, I, I, I tried. But I do, I understand where you're coming from now. I have a, I have appreciation for it without liking it. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I think that makes the world a richer place. That I can understand where you're coming from. Yeah, don't be afraid to try something you may think you hate. Like a musical. Or like wrestling, or like or look, a ballet, the, or whatever. Yeah, like yeah. Stop. Yeah, you know, or you know, try you know different kind of beer. Try you know, try some food that you've never had before. Like experiment with shit. It's really, and I, I think what's cool about movies to like once again try and wrap a bow on this is that movies are a thing that you can really see experiments in any you know from all kind of cultures and all kind of things, and it's a very it's very low risk. You're in and out in two hours. 